We often assume that we can tell a lot about a person by the company they keep. With what kinds of folks do certain people like to surround themselves? And we fret what can happen if we hang out with the wrong crowd. Bad company corrupts good character, we sometimes say. One bad apple can spoil the whole barrel. Well, one of the earliest things we read in the Bible about Jesus had to do with the company he kept already when he was just a baby. Jesus had not been on this earth for long when he somehow attracted the visit of some very quirky people called the Magi. Today on Groundwork, we will explore this story. Stay tuned. Welcome to Groundwork, where we dig into Scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Daryl Delaney. And I'm Scott Jose. And Daryl, we are uh, introducing with this program a five-part series for Advent and Christmas. Advent traditionally has four Sundays and then Christmas, so uh, the five-part series corresponds to that. Advent means arrival, and in the tradition of the church, Daryl, uh, we spend four Sundays getting ready for the arrival of Jesus, uh, which is what happens at Christmas. And I remember when I was leading children in worship lessons for the children and how we always told them that we're preparing. We're expecting Jesus's arrival and we're excited. So we're getting ready to unpack these four stories to prepare our hearts for Jesus to come. And we're looking forward to that. So we're going to look at uh, yeah some of the main characters that surround the run-up to the birth of Jesus. But we're going to start today, and some people might uh, be surprised by this, we're going to start with the Magi. They often are thought of as at the end of the story, but their journey probably began sooner than a lot of the other people because it was a long trip to get to Bethlehem. So let's dig right into scripture here, starting at Matthew chapter 2 with this story. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I, too, may go and worship him. So that's the story. Uh, we have a little intrigue here going on with King Herod, and we'll loop back to that later, but we'll set it aside for the moment. I think uh, what we want to do first in this program, Daryl, is sort of establish who these magi were. Sometimes we've called them wise men, not quite sure where that tradition began, because the Greek word is magoi, and its most literal translation is magi. Um, what I found is that there's a lot of different things that we put together to call what we call a nativity scene mm. and, and what I call it is a casserole because you put all these different ingredients together to come up with everybody at the manger scene together the magi the animals the shepherds Mary and Joseph and it's not accurate to put them all there at once so I'm glad that we're taking this time to take each piece apart especially with the magi here so we can see where it really comes from 
And the Magi, you're right, right. They were never all there at once. Uh, and the Magi arrived later, uh, much later. Again, they took a long journey. They may have headed that direction uh, even before uh, some of the events we'll look at in future episodes in this series, but it took a while. They were quasi-magicians, the Magi. And actually, they practiced, near as we can tell, sort of a pseudoscience that today we would call astrology. Not astronomy, right. you know, which is the scientific study of planets and stars, but astrology as in the sense of trying to predict the future by the movement of the stars. These are the people who today would write horoscopes. Oh, I think it's really interesting then because they're not like quote unquote God's people. Right. They came from somewhere else far from the east. We don't exactly know where. Yep. So it's interesting that Matthew, who is a Jewish writer writing to a Jewish Jewish audience, he would put these magi in as one of his main characters of finding the Messiah. That's really interesting. In fact, about a century before Jesus was born, a Jewish rabbi wrote, he who learns from magi is worthy of death. Uh, so the Bible, uh, actually in the Old Testament, condemns Magi. So these are, are not positive people. Uh, Matthew wrote for a Jewish reading audience who knew their stuff. And so Matthew knew his readers would be offended by the Magi. And we're going to talk more about that. For now, uh, we often think there were three, the three wise men. We don't really know. The Bible doesn't say how many. We just know they gave three gifts. So yeah. we assume each gave one gift. But that's kind of thin. The notion that there were three kings in the 8th century, uh, there was a, a teacher who uh, came up with names. We have no idea where he got them. <laughs> Melchior, Gaspar, and Baltasar. He gave these names to the Magi. But that's all kind of fantasy. Really, the only evidence we have to go on is what we read in Matthew 2. And that's just that there were some Magi. Don't know how many. But again, these guys would have been regarded as kind of quacks and charlatans then and now. So if you think more of a caravan, I think that that would be closer to the actual mm. idea of how many magi. But it really doesn't matter how many magi. I think Matthew is trying to actually illustrate a point that has to do with the fact that these people who do not know God found out that the Messiah was being born in this city and they made their way here even before uh, some of these events have happened. And it's really interesting to see that he uses that in his book as a main point. Exactly. And we don't know either exactly how they figured this out. Uh, one thing we do know, Matthew is not saying, hey, guess what? Astrology works. Um, <laughs> no, he's not endorsing their science. Somehow, though, they got the right. They saw something that we assume God revealed to them that said, hey, something cosmic has happened in Bethlehem of Judea. So we told her, follow the star. You can't really follow a star. You know, when I was a kid, I'd say to my dad, and we're coming home from my grandpa and grandma's house. I'm in the back seat. It's dark. Dad, the moon is following us. You know, and dad would say, no, it's not. It's just that it's so high. You can see it from everywhere. You really can't follow a star. I think it was God, obviously, guiding them sure. to Jesus for strategic reasons. And I think it's uh, the strategic reasons that we probably want to get into to try to help us understand why did Matthew put these people in this story at this time? And what was he trying to say about the Messiah? We'll talk about that in just a moment. We're glad you've joined our Groundwork Conversation. If you're enjoying today's discussion and want to download or listen again, you can find the audio podcast and transcript for this episode on our website, groundworkonline.com. Want to dig deeper? You can also find episode guides and blogs available to supplement your study. 
Curious about another episode or series we've mentioned? Search our episode library to find hundreds of conversations about God's Word and what it means for God's people today. Add your voice to our Groundwork conversation by visiting groundworkonline.com. And thank you. Support from listeners like you makes Groundwork possible. You're listening to Groundwork, where we dig into Scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Scott Jose. And I'm Daryl Delaney. And Daryl, let's go right back to Matthew 2. We read the first eight verses in the first part of the program. Now at verse 9. After the Magi had heard the king, Herod, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. They opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route." And so, Scott, this also points to the fact that I talked about a casserole earlier, how we throw all these things together. But this actually starts to unravel it and tell us the truth, because it says they came to a house and not a manger. It also says, yeah, it says that that they that he lived in the house and it's a child and not a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. So it took them quite a while to get there. And some scholars say it took maybe up to two years for them to get to Jesus. Yeah, they may have come from as far away as Baghdad, uh, modern-day Iraq, um, the courts of Persia. A lot of Magi were associated with the royal courts of the Far East, so it would have uh, it would have indeed taken them a while. But we were saying, Daryl, at the end of the previous part of the program, these guys really don't belong here. Now, we forget about that. We think they do belong there. We like it. You know, we kind of think they're like royalty. They present royal gifts gifts to the king of kings and how appropriate is that mm-hmm. in our Sunday school Christmas programs you know the kids that get to play the magi you know we put them in bathrobes that are bright yellow bright red you know bright blue uh, royal colors so we don't bat an eye uh, seeing the magi next to Jesus but Matthew's original readers would have uh, the preacher Debbie Blue preached a sermon on this a while back, and she mentioned that, and this really happened, that she had seen a, a manger scene in somebody's front yard with an inflatable Superman on the roof of the uh, of the manger, and she said, you know, Superman doesn't really belong in the nativity scene. No, it doesn't. But the Jewish readers from Matthew would have said the same thing about the Magi. It's actually a twist to have them involved in this. It's a spectacle of it all. It's a it's a hooking moment where you want to read more and find out why that's happening, what's going on there. And I think that Matthew put them in, not just to draw them in, but to show a bigger theological point, which we'll probably get to later on in this episode. Well, exactly. Um, Matthew's readers wouldn't have liked the Magi because one of the terrible things that happened around this time was when Herod, in an effort to find Jesus, we're, we're told, indeed, God tipped the Magi off. No, don't go back to Herod. He does not want to worship the child like he, he lied to you. Go home by another way. So they, they bypass him. But Herod gets so mad that he thinks, well, if I don't know the specific two-year-old I need to kill, I'll kill all the two-year-olds. And so this slaughter of the innocents, as it's known, was a terrible thing. Jews would have blamed the Magi for that. But even that uh, wasn't the, the main scandal of having these astrologers there. These are people who just didn't belong. They weren't Israelites. They weren't Jews. They weren't God's covenant people. What are they doing? If Jesus is God's long-promised Messiah, what are these guys doing there? It's really powerful because if you think about this, um, Matthew, he's writing to a Jewish audience. 
And he always traced it. I mean, actually, in the beginning of the book, he traces mm. the genealogy back to Abram. And this is the reason why I believe he's bringing them in, because he wants to remind them of the promise God made to Abram. You will be a blessing to all nations, God said uh, in, in Genesis 12 already, the very beginning of Israel with Abram, even before he was named Abraham, uh, that promise was made. And so, right, you mentioned the genealogy. We've done the program on that before or a series on that before, actually, on Groundwork. And we, we said at the time that Matthew goes out of his way in that family tree of Jesus in Matthew 1 to include four women. Right. Women weren't usually in genealogies, and all of them were foreigners, four foreign women. And we said in that series, ah, see, ding, 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 Matthew is telling his audience, Jesus is here for more than Israel, and the Magi are the same message. These are not buttoned-down Jewish people, people of the covenant, but they're worshiping Jesus as the Messiah, and they're right. And so Matthew was saying, Jesus is here for everybody. Lest we forget God's original plan for Israel to be a light to the nations that the salvation may reach the ends of the earth. That was always the original plan. Right. And Matthew is bringing that point across, not only in his genealogy, but by having his magi come. And when I was in Bible college, I learned a concept called faithful foreigners, mm. where there would be people who had no concept of who God was, had no history with God, but all of a sudden they're finding their way to be more faithful, even in Israel at some points. And we see the Magi actually leading the way to the Messiah. And we see that the salvation is designed to not just for Jews. And Paul picks that up in the New Testament where it's for everyone in the world. And what you just said about faithful foreigners just reminded me, um, in the design of the temple, remember uh, Solomon's temple, there were the Gentile courts. Oh, yes. There was a space set aside for non-Jews to come and pray to Israel's God. And when Jesus later cleanses the temple, it wasn't because he was upset they were buying and selling. The buying and selling was taking place in the Gentile courts, so the foreigners didn't have room to pray. No space. So Jesus said, my house of prayer should be a house of prayer for all nations. And Matthew is previewing all of this. The Magi are a preview. So Jesus somehow, like a magnet, attracted these Magi. And in coming years, once he's grown up, he's going to be magnetic to prostitutes, tax collectors, Roman soldiers, lepers, lots of women, lots of people that the religious establishment of the day said were undesirables. Jesus attracted them in droves. It's beautiful that you see our Messiah magnetizing the marginalized mm. Ooh, because nice. I am the one who is also on the fringes. I am also the one who is desperately in need of God's salvation. And so I am included in these people that Jesus would be drawing to himself. And scripture tells us that once he's lifted up, he will draw all people to himself, not just Jews, not just Gentiles, not just males, not just females, but everyone who names the name of Christ. Exactly. I mean, I remember one of my teachers in seminary, you know, pointed out one time, if you don't have Jewish ancestry, if you didn't grow up or come out of Judaism, you're a Gentile and you're the Magi. You are the non-Israelites that Jesus attracted. You're in the covenant by adoption. And that's good news. If it's good news for you, it's got to be good news for everybody. And Matthew, of course, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, was a very clever uh, writer, Daryl. And he has in his gospel a couple of what we call inclusios, or we can think of them as like bookends. Mm -hmm. So Matthew does, sounds a theme in the first part of the gospel, and then he repeats the theme at the end of the gospel. In this case, in the second chapter, we get the Magi, 
And in the second to the last chapter, we have the Roman soldier at the cross. Surely this was the Son of God. Again, a foreigner recognizing the Messiah, even ahead of Israel, right, as a sign that indeed that Son of God died for all nations. It's a beautiful thing to see that the testifying comes from not just people that are in the Jewish culture that have this history, but from people who have that don't have that history at all. Exactly. And they're still able to do it. But as we wrap up this program in a moment, we're going to bring home to our own situation today, kind of a so what and see how it applies to us. So stay tuned. What does it look like to honor and serve God in your marriage and family? Visit FamilyFire.com to discover how you can better live out your faith in the context of your relationships. At FamilyFire.com, you'll find articles and devotions curated to encourage you to stoke the Holy Spirit's flame in your home. You'll also find an online community that can help you explore what it means to follow the Holy Spirit's lead in your family as a spouse, parent, or even an in-law. Join the community and be encouraged at FamilyFire.com. I'm Scott Jose, along with Gerald Delaney. You're listening to Groundwork and this first episode of a five-part Advent and Christmas series in which we're going to be looking at some of the main characters surrounding the birth of Jesus. And we've started with characters that come at the end because their journey probably took them longer. So we've been looking at the Magi. God has been using people who were not Israel to point to Jesus, who is the Messiah for not just Israel, but for all nations. And we can see that Coming up in the New Testament, we see it in the book of Acts here. And and there's a passage in chapter two that says, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucify, both Lord and Messiah. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replies, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for this promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off for all whom the Lord our God will call. So that all, that's very, very, very clear that it's for all people. All, for all those who are far off. And here in his Pentecost sermon, Peter kind of proclaimed more than he knew because if we fast forward (laughs) about eight chapters in the book of Acts, Peter is going to be confronted with non-Jews. Oh, yeah. Cornelius and his Roman household, these Italians that God is sending his spirit on. And Peter is shocked that all of a sudden, Oh, the Holy Spirit is coming to not just Israel, but to Italians and to non-Jews, Gentiles. So he said it. He predicted it right here. But even he wasn't quite ready for the full reality of it. All who are far off. What a beautiful promise. It is a wonderful thing. And it's really important for us to remember that the gospel need not be just in our own personal comfort zone or Mm -hmm. in our own personal circle, but we need to actually think about what God might see when he looks at people and wherever they are in their life, whether whether their social economic status is up or down, whether they're in the margins of society, God is actually coming to save with his grace all people. And that's very important to make sure that that's clear. The Magi, we do associate them with nativity. And like you said uh, earlier, uh, our nativity scenes are sort of like a casserole. It's like everybody in the pool, shepherds, angels, Magi, everybody there at once, which never happened in the narrative, of course. But uh, the Magi are also associated with what comes right after Christmas, which is Epiphany. And an Epiphany is a revelation. And indeed, this was a revelation 
for Matthew's readers that these magi, these foreigners, these astrologers are within the reach of God's grace too. And so I think, you know, it kind of forces the question on us, who are the magi today? You know, who are the people who, when we see God bringing them into the church, we sort of say, ooh, well, now, you know, they're pretty different from us. Do they really belong here? Who are today's magi? Who is God working in that we didn't expect? I think the people that we, I guess, ashamedly look down our nose at, who we think we're better than, it just might be those people. Um, If we're really honest about it, then nobody belongs. It's because of grace that any one of us can be welcomed into the family of God. And if we remember that in humility, then we'll be able to open our doors, our hearts, and our lives to people. And it can happen anywhere. Um, the the preacher Nadia Boltz Weber is a very interesting preacher. Uh, she's sort of a leather wearing, tattoo born <laughs> motorcycle person who has a church that attracted a lot of other motorcycle types. You know, lots of tattoos, lots of leather, lots of long beards. Well, she's such a good preacher that eventually other people started to come to the church, people who dress the way a lot of us associate going to church. They're wearing coats and ties and dresses. And the motorcycle guys go, we don't want that, those kinds of people in our church. You know, I mean, so usually when the motorcycle crowd would come into a church, us button-down types would say, ooh, boy, I'm surprised they're here. It was the opposite there when the button-down people came and the motorcycle people said, oh, man, they don't, they're not like us. But that's God, right? That's the Holy Spirit always working among surprising people. And it's up to us to show the welcome of grace because, as you said, Daryl, that's how we got in. And honestly, if we think about our lives, if we're really, really uh, honest, then we'll know that we're all a motley crew of people that come from a variety of different places. And because God's grace, we're able to be united as a miracle under one body. It's really challenging for us to think about when we think about where people come from. But it's not too challenging for our God who actually uses Matthew in this story to show with Magi that it's possible. When I've preached on this before, Daryl, I've said, you know, for about four weeks a year, we have our creches, our nativity scenes in our front yards or in the front yard of the church. Some churches have a living nativity scene around Christmas, you know, and and we're fine with it. Shepherds and angels and magi all mixed together. And then Christmas done and we pack up the major scene and put it back in the attic. And then the rest of the year, we have to remember that that's what we really want all the time. Uh, We want the manger scene to be true of the church all the time. A whole bunch of different people under one roof. And if it doesn't bother us in the manger scene for a few weeks a year at Christmas, it shouldn't bother us in the real church the rest of the year, the other 48 weeks a year either. Exactly. And and I think that the point Matthew's making with the Advent and preparing us in this passage, uh, you mentioned he bookends these things. And he also... It's really important for us to remember that in the book of Revelation, there is another advent and we look forward to not just the one that is coming this season, but the one that comes at the end of all things. And so in Revelation 21, from the latter part of the chapter, John of Patmos saying in verse 22, I didn't see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives its light and the Lamb is its lamp. Now, this part's important. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. 
Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. So there's the ultimate vision, Daryl, at the end of the Bible. All nations, all the kings, bring in the splendor of their cultures in everybody. We're never going to shut the gate, John says. The gate's always open so that all people may come in. And for those of us who live between the two advents, it is our role to not only live as disciples who love and follow Jesus, but to make sure that everyone knows that, hey, it's not just for me mm-hmm. or for the people that I know. It is for you. It is for everyone who is far off for us to know who the Messiah is. And we get to see the Magi bringing the first picture of that. And for that, we can say thanks be to God. Well, thanks for listening and digging deeply into Scripture with Groundwork. We're your host, Daryl Delaney with Scott Jose, and we hope you'll join us again next time as we continue preparing our hearts for Christmas by studying the stories of Zechariah, Elizabeth, and John the Baptist. Connect with us at GroundworkOnline.com to share what Groundwork means to you or to tell us what you would like to hear discussed next on Groundwork. Groundwork is a listener-supported program produced by Reframe Ministries. Visit ReframeMinistries.org for more information. Our recording engineer is Dodd Morris, and our post-production supervisor is John Reeder. Our senior producer is Courtney Jacob. 